Well, today we're finishing up 1 Samuel together, but as we do, we're going to be walking through the rubble of a devastating and sad, even tragic place in the Bible. This is the location that we will experience sadness and grief and mourning. This is the very location that King Saul and his sons will die. In fact, Drew went with a group from Horizon to Israel last year, and he brought back some pictures of this place. So again, it's got a little bit more modern tell on it today, but imagine just being in this spot like Drew and others from Horizon were, and just seeing those scenes, those ruins, and imagining back to 1000 AD. This is the place where Jonathan and his brother and his father's body were hung up by the Philistines. See, whenever we experience grief or sadness or loss, it feels like everything's in rubble. Everything we thought was going to happen, everything we wanted to happen, we can no longer call our mom or dad if they passed away. We never imagined we'd lose a son or daughter as early as we did. It's in the ruins of 1 Samuel chapter 31 that we need to deal with grief. What we're going to find is that Death is it's complex, and grief is complicated, very, very complicated. How we deal with sadness, how we access God's comfort during the challenges of dealing with death. I want to begin in 2 Samuel chapter 1 before we move back to 1 Samuel 31. It says, and he answered, the people have fled from battle. Many of the people have fallen and are dead and Saul and Jonathan are dead as well. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And he explains. Then in verse 11 it says, David took hold of his own clothes and tore them in grief. You've heard me talk about our mission a lot, right? To comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. But one of the ways we do that is through equipping services and exploring services and friendship and relationships. But one of the most powerful ways we connect people to God is meeting them during times of grief. Where we shake our fist at the air and say, the world is so broken, God. Come and fix it. We walk with families as they grieve the loss of their loved ones. In fact, about a month ago, we used our tent for exactly that. We probably had four or 500 people here on our property, all masked up, coming to grieve alongside their friends, families, for the loss of a son. I gotta tell you, every time I do a funeral, I'm like, don't cry this time, don't cry this time. But when I see a father and a mother, when I walk down this center aisle with a grieving spouse, I just feel the grief. And it's in those times we're able to meet people as a church and help them understand that God is with them. Blessed are those who comfort, are comforted when they grieve, Jesus says. And that death does not have the final word. 
that God is with us in our grief. And the reason he came from heaven to earth was to defeat death once and for all so that death doesn't have to be the final chapter. In fact, it was under that tent that day. Right beforehand, we meet in the hearth room and I prayed with the family. We walked together. They had lost a son who's the same age as my oldest son, 21. And I just started thinking about how complex death is. And and just like David said, when when you hear someone's died, like David, you say, how did this happen? What's going on? We want to know the who and the what and the when and the why as if we could ever understand why God allows or why God takes somebody home or why we don't have more time. So we're going to look at today how you and I can deal with the complexities of death and grief and how we can invite God into those moments to meet us wherever we are. What do I mean when I say death is complex? Well, I think like David did, we all want to know who caused this? Who's to blame for this? Am I mad at the world? Am I mad at God? Was this a drunk driver's fault? If it's a suicide, I don't even know how to deal with the emotions of who I'm mad at. It's the bottom line we deal with death. As I said, death is very complex and the cause of death is almost always very complex, especially when you deal with something like suicide. And we're gonna find that suicide, it's in the mix today of what's going on and what happened to King Saul. Now maybe not to his sons, and that's why this is so complicated. As we're experiencing this chapter together, we're experiencing a fellow vet has died, right? These were war heroes of David. We're experiencing a father-in-law who's died. We're experiencing a king who's died, but also a guy who's been out of control, who's been chasing David for the last couple years. And yet as the report comes to David that Saul and his sons are dead, David asks, well, what caused him to die anyway? As you're going to see, a myriad of factors. It's very, very, very complex. What led to the death of King Saul? What are some of those factors? Well, first they died because of war. It begins in chapter 31. It says, now the Philistines fought against Israel. Why did he die? Because he was at war. Why did he die? Because for hundreds of years, the Philistines are terrorist people who come in and steal your stuff, take your wives, take your daughters, and try and kill you off to get your supplies. So the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. So what's the first cause of death? Well, in this case, it's simply they're at war. And in war, terrible things happen. In the context of war, the reason Saul is dead, the reason Jonathan is dead, is simply because they were at war. And their bodies are laid to rest in a horrible way by the Philistines in Mount Gilboa. Now look at Mount Gilboa together. Mount Gilboa, as you make the approach, is where those photographs were that Drew shared with me earlier. So as you make your way around here on Galboa, this is where that battle occurred and this is where the bodies ultimately were slain as they came to rest in this section, in this place. So in one sense, this is a place of tragedy, a place of sadness, but also a sacred place because someone, some ones made in God's image died in this place. But it wasn't just war. 
They died because of their position. Like not everybody died. Why specifically did Jonathan and Saul, why did they die here? Well, the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. Ah, so specifically in war, they were targeting Saul and his sons because they were royalty. So in one sense, they died because of war. Another sense, they died because of their position. He was the king and they were the sons. So the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Machishua. Why? Because they were the royal family. Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him. He was severely wounded by the archers. I told you death is complicated. It's their position. It's the fact they're part of the royal family. Why did Jonathan die? Because he was related to the king and because they're a battle. But it even gets more complex. What happens there on Mount Gilboa? He died because of suicide. Then Saul says to his armor bearer, remember he's pierced with an arrow, but he hasn't died yet. But he knows what the Philistines do if they catch you alive. So though he's been pierced, he says to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. He says, I don't wanna be tortured. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it himself. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died with him. Wow, it got a whole lot more complex, didn't it? Now you got somebody who's afraid of being tortured. He knows the history of the Philistines. He knows he's a king and they're gonna wanna make an example out of him. He then asks somebody else to take his life from him. That person's like, no, only God's the author of life. I can appreciate why you don't wanna be tortured by the Philistines, but I'm not gonna take the role of God. God determines when we die and when we live. I'm not gonna take that into my hands. So Saul takes it into his hands and, and puts his sword down and thrusts himself on the sword. And then his servant or armor bearer loses hope and throws himself on the sword. Wow, it's really getting complicated. Now here's what a sword looked like in those days. Think about that. I mean, that, that's sharp for its day, but it's not sharp cons- compared to what we use to, to cut in our kitchens, for example. So this is not a quick death. These swords, which were found about the same time period, about 1000 BC, were Babylonian army swords. So not exactly the kind of sword that Saul would have, but probably in the ballpark. Here's a painting of that scene that we're in. There's Saul, knowing he's been shot, knowing that torture and abuse is coming his way from the Philistines, thrusts himself on his own sword. So what caused Saul to die? What's the answer to David's question? How did this happen? Why is my friend David, David's best friend, Jonathan, dead? And why has his father-in-law died? Well, it's because of war. It's because of their position. It's because of suicide. It's because of the fear of being abused. It's about the fear of being tortured. Just very, very complicated. 
And it's because an arm, armor bearer wouldn't help Saul kill himself, which led to him killing himself. A lot of myriad of factors here. And I think whenever we come to death, we come to a scene like this, we try to figure it out. But even the next verse sort of gives one more little factor. It says, they died because of chance and free will. All right, sometimes it just happens. Wrong place, wrong time. It wasn't the person's fault. This isn't karma. They didn't do anything wrong. It was the drunk driver's fault. It was, it was the other person's fault. And there's an element of chance here to death as well. So David, verse 5, said to the young man who told him, why or how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Well, the young man told him and said, well, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on a spear. Now, that happened by chance is about how he came upon the body. But I think it reminds us that in a world with free will, sometimes it's happenstance and chance. It's nothing the individual person did wrong that led to their death. The man says, I happened there by chance. And he goes on and he says, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Again, his, his position. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me and said, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. He said to me, please stand over me and kill me for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. Now, do you see the conflict in the story already? What do I mean? Well, before I told you that Saul talked to his armor bearer and said, kill me. Now he seems to be talking to the guy who ran to David, who's an Amalekite. Which is it? Well, that's why this account in 2 Samuel 1 seems to be in contradiction to 1 Samuel 31. Which means this Amalekite might be lying to us in his account. Though the Bible is accurate and true, it may be accurately recording an Amalekite who's lying to David because he's hoping to get some gold and silver because I killed your enemy. So that's what's going on here. He says, well, I just happened by chance to come across the body. He asked me to kill him, but it goes on. So I, the Amalekite, speaking in 2 Samuel, stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he would not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I brought it here to you, my Lord. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. So when you think about death, when you think about someone who passed away, maybe it's someone in your past who committed suicide, maybe it's a circumstance in your life that you just go, I, I'm, I'm driving myself crazy trying to figure this out. Remember that death is complicated. It's just incredibly, incredibly complex. You see, there's something freeing about not taking the ownership of trying to figure out something that only God can figure out. In fact, one of the powerful things we do when we face the complexity and the, the, the difficulty of death is, is we, we hand it over to God. We say, God, I'm gonna let you figure it out. Because only God knows why. God, only God knows why each of those factors that played into why cancer, why that car accident. Only God knows why. 
instead of driving ourselves crazy trying to figure out the why, we can instead say, God, you take care of the why. I just need you to comfort me, to strengthen me, to meet with me during this time. But I also think whenever it comes to suicide, there's a lot more emotions. There's guilt. There's people who say, that's the most selfish act ever. How could they have done that to us? Let me talk about suicide for a moment. Because I've talked many times in this room when people have faced the rubble in their own life of suicide. I've said, number one, let me tell you why suicide is wrong. It's not because it makes people feel bad, but of course it makes people feel bad. The reason suicide is immoral is because you put yourself in the place of God. See, remember, you let God figure it out because only God is the author of life. And when you take your life from yourself, you're taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's God. He's the author of life. That's why suicide's wrong. Putting yourself in the place of God is always wrong. See, you put yourself in the place of God when you worry. You put yourself in the place of God when you refuse to forgive someone because you put yourself in the place of judge. What does that mean? It means that suicide, like worry and like bitterness, is forgivable. Many you grew, maybe you grew up hearing that suicide was an unforgivable sin. Well, that's, that's not true. Lots of people in the Bible struggled with suicide. Jonah, Elijah, Moses, they all mentioned specifically, God, take my life. They got to that place. And each time you see God drawing near to them, getting close to them, wrapping his arms around them. Because what causes suicidal thought? Sometimes it's the evil one, right? It's the devil who tells you a lie or tells someone you cared about a lie. People don't care about you. Life would be better without you. And so that factor is why. Sometimes it's biochemical issues. We live in a world that is so broken and our biochemistry is out of whack and our thoughts are out of whack and our, our feelings are out of whack. That's why Jesus came. And who knows why at that moment a person you cared about took their own life. But the good news is it's forgivable. It's forgivable. When you are in Christ, neither height nor depth nor principality and power nothing can separate you from the love of Christ it wasn't based on what you did or didn't do it was based on what he did for you I can't tell you how many times in this room I've walked with families who not only have the sadness of losing someone that they loved then they have the embarrassment of it being suicide and then they have the the complexity of hearing somewhere in their past that suicide was unforgivable and they were going to lose their, their relatives eternally. And every time I sit down and remind them that the Bible speaks, that yes, suicide was wrong, but it is forgivable. You can just feel this relief. You can feel the Holy Spirit coming in to those moments of secret and shame saying, I am with you and I will comfort you. And I will draw near. I remember walking down this aisle next to a wife whose husband had committed suicide a few years ago. It was a long walk. It was a lonely walk. It was a dark walk. 
but I talk with the family about talking openly about suicide so it wouldn't be filled with that, that shame. We talked openly about mental health issues or something we all struggle with. How could you not in this broken world with war and, and, and free will and, and, and difficulty and tornadoes and hurricanes, all those things, but God, even Jesus at, at Lazarus' tomb shook his fist at this broken world and, and roared at it and said, that's why I've come, to defeat death once and for all. And the first time he came as a forgiver, he's coming back in a second installment to be our final fixer, to finally fix everything that is broken about our world. So remember, death, it's complex. And the freedom we find in not trying to be God and know exactly what happened, but instead say, God, I'm gonna let you figure it out. So let's go back to the text. Unfortunately, Saul's greatest fears come true. He has died. He did throw himself on his sword. But what we're going to find is this location on Mount Gilboa is a place of tragedy. In fact, you remember those pictures I showed you that Drew and the team from Horizon brought back? I want you now to imagine this tragic, terrible, awful place because of what the Philistines do to the bodies of Saul and his sons when they find him. Here's what it says in verse 7 of chapter 31. Now when the men of Israel, who are on the other side of the valley, and those who are on the other side of the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it was that the Philistines came to strip the slain. They found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off their heads. They stripped off his armor. And they sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it to the temple of their idols and among their people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and they fastened his body to the wall of Bishan. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistine had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and they took the body of Saul and the body of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and they came to Jabesh and burned them there and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted for seven days. Saul was terrified of what the Philistines would do. Look what they did to him when they found him dead. And yet these valiant warriors from Jabesh Gilead, remember that was the place the Ark of the Covenant got moved to? They came and found the bodies up against that wall without their heads. And they carefully took them back to the place that the Ark of the Covenant resided. And they buried them under a tamarisk tree the Tamar's tree, a reminder of God's promises going back for generations. That when we experience death, we say, God, you figure it out. But I want to come into your presence. I want to come near the ark. I want to come and bury these bodies in hopes that resurrection comes from you and not from me. So whatever tragedy you're facing, whatever Mount Gilead you find yourself at out of sadness or difficulty or death, hand it over to God. Say, God, Death is complex. I'm handing it to you to figure out. 
I'm asking you to be my comforter and my strength and ultimately my resurrection. But just as death is complex, boy, grief is complicated. I mean incredibly complicated. In fact, maybe you've come across those stages of grief, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, going through all those systems before acceptance. Do you know they've done research and there's no empirical research to show that anyone goes through those stages, all of them, in that order, at that time? Now I've used that tool in my own life, but the bottom line is even the tool that most of us lean into for grief is something that hasn't been empirically shown to be true for most people. It's how do you incorporate resilience in what happens to you and hope and faith And that's what we see what David does. He's in the middle of this horrible moment. And look what he does to incorporate, not just for himself, but for other people, God into his grief and mourning. Starts, he overcomes stoicism with grief. Now, now what is stoicism? Stoicism, that sense of, I'm not going to let this hurt me. I'm not going to feel. This is not what the Bible teaches. Remember, David tore his robes. He is not afraid to be sad. He's not afraid to be angry at what happened, angry at the Philistines, angry at losing his best friend, Jonathan. The Bible does not offer stoicism, shut off your emotions, as a way to handle any type of mourning or grief. And grief includes a lot more than just death. Sometimes it's grieving the loss of health. Maybe you're an athlete, no longer can you, you swing a tennis racket the way you did or run the way you did because of a hip replacement or because of a health crisis. Sometimes it's grieving the loss of a job or the loss of a relationship. Grief is sometimes just realizing that life isn't going the way you had planned and you're grieving what should have been or what could have been. So when you think about these three stages here, don't think about just death itself. Think about all the aspects of grief that we go through, that we wrestle through as human beings. And instead of stuffing it down or pretending we don't feel it because, well, they're going to be in heaven. Well, yeah, but it doesn't mean it's not sad now. It's not difficult now. And look how David, as the next king, leads his people into God's hope and faith and love in such an authentic way. He overcomes stoicism, let's not feel anything, by openly grieving, openly tearing his own, his own clothes in, in show of, of mourning and grief to his people. I'm sad, it's okay for you to be sad too. Here's what it says. Therefore, we're in 2 Samuel now, chapter one, verses 11 and 12. Therefore, David took hold of his clothes, he tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. Now those 600 men that have been traveling with him have been hunted by Saul. They have had their whole life discombobulated by Saul. And yet they still are mourning Saul. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Now think about how complicated the emotions must be for David. At one level, he's got to be relieved. I'm not going to be hunted anymore. And sometimes when there's death, 
I know a lot of long-term caregivers who, who lose their mother or their father, but they've been caring for them for years and they're getting worn out. And they, they are in one sense relieved and they feel guilty about the relief. I shouldn't feel relieved about this. But David would have felt that. David would have felt angry. Angry that his father never changed. His father-in-law never came back. I was just so hoping he would change. He must have wanted vengeance. How dare those Philistines who I worked alongside of treat their enemies. My father-in-law, my best friend, they killed him and they cut off his head and they hung his body in embarrassment. He must have wanted revenge. As a fellow vet, right? They are honoring a fellow vet who's died, a fellow soldier. He must have felt some sense of wanting revenge, sadness, a sense of patriotism, that I've got to fight for what's right. I can't, you didn't just do this to my father-in-law. You didn't just do this to my, to, to my king. You did this to my country. And that's why I said grief is so complicated because in those emotions, there's relief, there's sadness, there's my best friend, there's wanting revenge, there's anger. All of those things are mixed up and, and God just comes near. It says God is near the brokenhearted. God wants to be near you and I when we go through grief. When all those emotions begin to bubble up, we just keep handing them to God. Say, God, help me figure this out. Help me sort through all of the things I'm feeling with no guilt and no shame. Meet me in the midst of my sadness. So he overcame stoicism with grief. Second thing he does is he overcame secrecy with song. Especially because, again, King Saul probably committed suicide. It's so quick when there's a death or an uncertain death or even a death from mental health issues to be secret about it, to not talk about it, to put a veneer of, of shame and secrecy on top of the grief. But David doesn't do that. David openly celebrates everything that was good about King Saul. Good about King Saul? I have a whole list of things that aren't great about King Saul. But look what he does. Then David lamented And there's psalms in the Bible called lament psalms. And this lamentation, there's a book of the Bible called Lamentation, which is about Jeremiah lamenting, a time of grief in in Israel's life. But they lamented over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. The beauty of Israel is slain on the high places. How How the mighty have fallen. Look at this. The beauty of Israel. He's referring to Israel as a nation. This was a tragedy for all of us. He's referring to King Saul and Jonathan. The beauty of Israel were slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. And this becomes like a top 10 song of the day. It's called the song of the bow. And they are to teach it to the children of Judah. The song of the bow. There's times when you're grieving or sad or frustrated and you just can't, you can't get the words out. You can't even, you don't even know how to feel. And music is a powerful tool God has given us to express grief, to express pain, to just say, oh, that song, it's exactly how I'm feeling. It's exactly what I was thinking. And you're just in the moment. What's so incredible what David did is he used music to say teach all of Israel and our sons 
and our grandsons how to grieve. Let's overcome the secrecy. Yes, he died. Yes, it was probably suicide. But let's not remember, this is the mighty have fallen. He was our king. He was the leader of our nation. Let's remember the good things that happened here too. Let's not be secret about it. Let's celebrate what God did in and through Jonathan, in and through King Saul. And he overcame the secrecy with song. Maybe you need to listen to some worship music. Maybe pop on one of the worship songs that we do at the beginning of a service, the end of a service, and just say, God, use this music to, to put hope in me, to put joy in me, to put your presence in me as I'm going through the complexity of grief. And that's the last thing he does. He overcomes despair with hope. Or when you get sad, when you get down in the dumps, it's so easy to go, oh, there's just no hope. My life's never gonna get on. It's all ruins all the time. It's just broken down, burned down, rocks, walls of zigzag. Mount Gilboa, my life will never, ever move on. And you lose hope. But look how David injects the hope of God into their grief. Oh, mountains of Gilboa. And notice he's gonna be angry first because this is where they died, on the mountain of Gilboa. Let no dew or rain come upon you, nor, nor fields of offerings, for the shield of the mighty is cast up there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. You can feel these emotions. He's cursing the mountain. No more rain for you. No more flowers for you. This is the end of the road. And yet, this is a place of memorial to the sword of Saul and the bow of Jonathan. And you can feel this tension here between cursing the mountain for, for no more rain for you, no more flowers for you. And I remember the bow and the sword of these powerful warriors and people in my life. He goes on. So Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. Imagine you're David writing that Saul was pleasant in his life. <laughs> and in their death, they were not divided. Now look at the hope. He's even able to see Saul was with his son fighting alongside him. He gets to see the hope, the things to celebrate in the midst of this tragedy. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Do you see how he's instilling the hope? Look what God did through Jonathan. Look what God did through Saul. Yet at the same time he's cursing, he can't really figure out how hope dwells here in this place. But that's what the resurrection ultimately was about. Jesus came and took on an old rugged Roman cross, a place of death and despair and no hope. And by defeating death, by forgiving his enemies, by saying to us, his King Saul, his enemies, he says to us that we could be pleasant again, that we could be accepted again, that he would defeat death for you and I because of what Jesus did on the cross. Hope could replace despair. The cross, a symbol of torture in the Roman Empire is now something we wear around our neck to remind ourselves that there is hope that death can be defeated. That's the message of the Bible. It's interesting because the Israeli Times in 2014, 2015 said the curse of David had been broken. What do I mean? Well, it's pretty amazing actually that this 
place known for devastation and known for death and known for being ruins, a place that David had cursed and said, no more rain. It says the curse has been broken because now if you look at Mount Gilboa, it's covered with beautiful flowers, yellow flowers and red flowers. A reminder that God can bring out of the ground that which we most need. That when the curse is broken, God can bring beauty where there used to be ashes. That's the hope of the Bible. Do you need God to grow some flowers in your life? To bring some hope into the soil of despair? That's what Jesus is all about. That's what the cross was all about. As we finish 1 Samuel today, we launch into 2 Thessalonians and Christ's return. Take a moment and say, God, I haven't seen flowers around my life in a while. And I've lost hope. And I'm in secrecy or shame or stoicism. God, I want to trust that if you could bring flowers by breaking the curse that was on this world on the cross, then whatever the ruins are in your life, whatever those broken down areas of your life that you feel like, I just don't know how God would ever move here, ask God. Invite God into your grief, into your circumstances for him to give you the strength and the power and the courage you need. What is our key takeaway today? What what would God ask us to do in response to this long story, this long book we studied together? Number one, let God figure it out. what, What caused the death or the circumstance? And ask God to grieve you through. God, grieve me through this. Be with me in the midst of this. My uncle passed away about two weeks ago. And my mom was very busy taking care of her brother. He died of stomach cancer and just was slowly, slowly withering away, losing pounds. As the family gathered together, there's just all the details, right, of being executor of the will or taking care of somebody who's on their way to hospice in that time. In the middle of all that, my mom said, you know what, I just have been so busy getting stuff done, I didn't have a chance to grieve. And my uncle was a singer. And somebody sent a YouTube clip of my uncle singing a song he wrote about his hope in Christ as his salvation. And my mom said, I sat down watching YouTube and I just heard my own brother in his own words, in his own voice, talk about all the things he'd done wrong. I stole this, I didn't do that. I didn't live up to my own promises. But thank God that I am a child of God. My mom said she began to weep. It was the first time she had in the middle of the busyness to just grieve. And how the hope of being a child of God and her brother's confidence in that allowed her to grieve mixed with hope. This next song the band's gonna play, I hope will be an opportunity for you to do just that. To be still and invite God to grieve you through, to meet you in your sadness or in your difficulty. And as a church, we wanna help you. If you're going through a lonely time or sad time, and who wouldn't during this time of COVID, you need a call, call John, call Drew, call me. Join a small group. Let us help you invite God into the ruins of any circumstance in your life and God to come near through the power of music. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be still. Thank you for your defeat of death. 
And we ask you to meet each person listening and watching right now, right where they are. In Jesus' name, amen.